So who is this Jesus that we celebrate, that we set aside this time of year to celebrate, to be thankful and to rejoice that he has come to earth, that he was born? He is one that all of God's word anticipates. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, after the angel came and spoke with Joseph, reassuring him that what was happening in his life was according to God's plan, and what was happening is that he was engaged to his wife-to-be, Mary, and he found out that she was pregnant. And that disturbed him because he knew that he was not the father. He knew that they had kept themselves pure during their engagement. And this, this child was not his. And the only other conclusion that he could reach is that his wife-to-be had been unfaithful. And so he wanted to respond accordingly, and the response he thought he had to do was to divorce her. That divorce process was necessary even though the marriage had not yet begun. is because they looked at the, the betrothal, uh, in what we would call engagement, their betrothal was so, they were so committed to each other that it was a binding commitment and contract. And so if she had, in fact, been unfaithful, she had broken that commitment, and he would then be free to break his commitment with her by going through a legal divorce. But the angel came to him and said, Joseph, that won't be necessary. He said, what's happened to Mary has been prophesied in Scripture. And he says this in verse 21. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now he explained to, to, to Joseph, the angel explained to Joseph, how Mary had become pregnant. It wasn't through physical interaction. It was a miracle that God had implanted seed in her so that she would give birth to the Son of God. And then it says this in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and then it tells us what the Lord had spoken, is this, here it is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. My focus today is where it says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. I want us to see today that God's word, God had proclaimed this truth throughout history. 
and recorded it in the Old Testament, and it's what we call prophecy. Prophecy is different than a prediction. A prediction is someone's estimate or guess as to what would happen in the future. And usually predictions, um, well, they can be specific or they can be general. We see a lot of general predictions. And so a prediction is an idea of a human being about what is going to happen sometime in the future. It's interesting, though, that a prophecy is the word of God about what definitely will happen in the future. And we see the differences that is from God, and it's very specific and clear. I want to share with you in this passage some things that the Word of God prophesies about this Jesus. And I want you to see that God is making a point. This is my design. This is my plan. This is my son. Listen to him. In other words, the message for us today is that Jesus is special because God had told beforehand that all of these things would happen. And what's amazing about this is we're going to see several things that all culminate in the person of Jesus. Some seem random, minute, I call it specific. That God is clear about what his plan is and that it's coming from him. And what's special about this is that all of this is fulfilled in the person, in the singular person, and only in the singular person of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not just some mere prediction. It is a statement of fact and stated in such a way that we ought to take note of it and know that this Jesus is indeed special, like no one else ever in all of history. So he says that this that took place, or this thing that was happening, was done so that it will fulfill the Scripture. It will fulfill what God had said before. Let's take a brief look in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, if you turn there, it's the fifth book of the Old Testament. There's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Chapter 18 is what we're going to look at. And in verse 15, it says, The Lord your God, and this is Moses speaking, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses was telling the people of Israel that God is going to raise up a special man who is a prophet who is going to be in many ways like Moses. He's going to come from one of them, of their descendants. 
Jewish heritage, Hebrew. He says, from your brothers. And it says, it is to him you shall listen. It's not just a suggestion. God is saying, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to set this one up, and you will, in other words, he will reign. He will rule. You will listen to him. Let's continue. Verse 16, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. God said, I remember what y'all said. You know, when I, when I made myself known and came in a heap and in a cloud and in a fire, you were afraid. You were terrified is more completely uh, the, the thought there. You were terrified. and You said, please, God, don't, don't talk to us like that anymore. God says, I'm going to come and send my son in another way so that you can actually hear his voice. Verse 17, the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. From among their brothers. You see what God is saying? He says, yeah, I heard them. They, they can't take me. <laughs> they can't take me in, in, in my pure form. When I communicate the, the, them, the essence of who I am, it's, it's overwhelming to them. I'm going to bring myself in another way. I'm going to show them who I am through someone who's going to be just like them so that they can listen. Remember the word in Matthew chapter 1, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. You see, they couldn't, just like us today, we couldn't quite take God in his purest form being with us. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's a bit much. But he says, I'm going to bring my son, and that'll be God with us. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. See, he's speaking of his son, and he's prophesying exactly what his son would be. Go back to Matthew. Um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2 now. I want you to see how this theme continues. In Matthew chapter 2, it, it tells us of Herod when he heard the news that this another king was born. He didn't like it. These wise men came from east and they came to Jerusalem and they started to ask the question, where is this king, this king of the Jews? And he said, we saw his star. In other words, God was leading us to him and he's led us thus far. We've come to worship him. It says in verse 3, when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled. 
and all Jerusalem with him. I wonder why all Jerusalem was troubled. Well, simply because the king is troubled. Why is the king troubled? Because he hears something of another king. And that's not a good thing for him. And so he plays along and says, well, let's find out a little bit more about this new baby king that's coming in to take my place. So he gets all his advisors together. These are the men who should know and have researched the Old Testament scriptures. And he asks them, where is this Christ child going to be born? And they tell him, in Bethlehem. Notice what it says, for so it is written by the prophets. In other words, God's word prophesies again the very place that Jesus is going to be born. Now, we didn't look at it, but in Deuteronomy 13, there is the process of what happens when someone prophesies and it's false. And the process is there is that if anybody is a true prophet and anything that they prophesy is not true, disregard them because they're no prophet. In fact, not only disregard them, destroy them. Take them out and stone them because they have prophesied a lie. What this points out is a standard of prophecy. When God prophesies something, all of it has to be true. And he's prophesying now the place at which this king will be born. I want you to see that, that when you put all these things together in the person of Jesus Christ, there's no mistake of who the Bible says that this Jesus is. In fact, who proves that he is who the Bible says that he is. This all comes and rests. On Jesus. Well, the prophecy was given in Micah 5 2 in the Old Testament that this child would be born in Bethlehem. That's kind of unique. It's unique because it's not Jerusalem where the king reigns at. That's the, that's the holy city, that's the capital city. Bethlehem is just a small town. In fact, Bethlehem was, was basically nothing until David made it. His home, and that's something unique because David then pictures Jesus himself. So they looked at the scripture, and it says in verse 6 Oh, you and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So this ruler is coming, this person is coming from Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He is indeed going to be a ruler of Israel, and he will shepherd God's people. He will lead God's people. It's interesting to use that word shepherd because I think it's associated with, with Bethlehem and with David. David known as a shepherd. And the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It says of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 11, he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life 
for the sheep. We learn of David and, and in, his, in his youth as a young, courageous young man who was a shepherd, had that responsibility, who guarded his sheep so that when a bear or a lion would come and attack his sheep, he himself would put himself between the attacker and his sheep. And he wouldn't rest until he'd destroy that bear or destroy that lion. That's how David, in fact, got his fame, so to speak. Well, really, it's how he got his, his opportunity for fame because he went to the army of Israel when Goliath was, was boasting of, of, uh, of, of victory against anybody from Israel. And David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should put down the armies of God or put down God himself? And he says, I'll go out there. They said, you? Who are you? They said, I'm a shepherd. And as a shepherd, I protected my sheep. And when, an, when a bear or a lion came out to fight against them, with my bare hands, I destroyed that bear, destroyed that lion. This child from Bethlehem would be a ruler who would shepherd his people. Those things come to mind because too often we think at Christmas time as Jesus as simply this humble baby laying in a manger and forget to realize God's purpose in him is that he is going to rule over and shepherd his people. In fact, what it means is he's going to destroy all enemies that represent a threat to his people. He's not just a little baby. And the word of God prophesies that even here. It says, Bethlehem, you seem to be insignificant in all of history as, as a place in Israel, but there's some significance, there's some great significance coming from you. The word of God writes this several hundred years before Jesus was ever born. And again, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Well, what, what is it referring to? Well, when Herod found out that the wise men did not come back and report to him after they went and saw this baby Jesus in Bethlehem, they did not come back and tell Herod where he was. And by the time the news got back to Herod, it had been much later. And Herod, it says, was furious. And he wanted to destroy this child that was a threat to his kingdom. And so he sent out a decree. He says, I know where it is. It's in Bethlehem. And so I'm going to draw a perimeter. And all children from the age I can think of to when I talk to the wise men to birth, which would be two years to, to newborn, I'm going to have them all killed. And that's what he did. That's what he did. This, in fact, was prophesied in the word of God in this way. In verse 18, it says, 
Verse 17 says, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. In other words, this tells us what God said would happen in the life of this child born. And so God's prophecy is being fulfilled again. This is interesting because when we look at the life of Moses, we saw this very same thing. Except the king then was Pharaoh of Egypt, and we saw that Moses was a threat. In fact, any male child was a threat, and, and Pharaoh had issued an edict that all male children would be put to death upon their birth. Again, pointing to what would happen with Jesus. So in verse 18, it says, this is how it fulfilled. And this is the prophecy that it was filled, it, it, it fulfilled. And it gives us that. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now, if that was an isolated text, we would struggle to put it into correlation with history. But the Bible lets us know, again, God's prophecy that was specific. What was specific here? That there would be some great lamentation of which people could not be comforted from. This lamentation, this great catastrophe that would happen would be the result of many children, babies killed. Rachel, then, is a picture of the people of Israel. In other words, the mothers of Israel weeping, and such weeping, it says she refused to be comforted. Now, perhaps you've witnessed something like that. When a person is in deep grief and sorrow, words don't mean a whole lot anymore. Platitudes become very empty. The Word of God says there is a coming a time when there will be such sorrow, such a catastrophe, that it would be impossible to encourage those who are suffering in that way. Mothers today can certainly understand that. Parents today can certainly understand that. What do you do when your child has suffered? Is suffering or the ultimate when that child has been put to death? Not only the death of a child, but in this means, in this bitter, wicked means. It's one thing for an innocent child to have his life taken, a taken aggressively, purposefully, because a leader determines that that baby is a threat to him. The Bible says this would happen, and it would happen around this person of Jesus, and we see it fulfilled. And then towards the end of this chapter, chapter 2, it says this, verse 23. It tells us how God protected this baby Jesus
before Herod had issued this edict, an angel had come to Joseph and says, you need to get out of you need to get out of Israel, and I want you to go in to Egypt. It's an interesting that he would send a child into Egypt for protection. But that's exactly what he did. So you see in, in, in verse 13, the angel speaks to, to Joseph and tells him to take this child into Egypt because Herod is, in fact, trying to destroy him. And he, here's kind of like a, a, almost a tidbit uh, of, of a prophecy. And it says at the end of, of, uh, uh, of verse 15, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. <laughs> out of Egypt I called my son. So in what way is Jesus one who was called out of Egypt? The, the prophecy refers to God taking his people, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt. But it, it makes it clear that that itself was a picture of his people or his redeemer coming out of Egypt. And if we looked at that in isolation, we said, what does God mean that he's going to bring a savior to his people out of Egypt? Is he going to be of Egyptian descent? Well, we come to understand that is in fact fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ in, in that God had had Joseph take the baby and Mary to Egypt to get away and get out of Israel. And yet, after this threat was over, he brought him back. And it says, out of Egypt, I called my son. I want you to see how specific God is in even the minute details that, that determine uh, 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 his prophecy concerning his son. That this Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God has said. What's unique about this? You could, you, you could take one isolated prophecy and says, well, yeah, if I find a person that fits that, that that's, maybe that's saying something. Well, when you take them all and they all complete themselves in the person of Jesus Christ as no one else can, then you begin to see the picture unfolding. That God is saying, this is my son. This is the one that I have appointed. So when we get back to, to verse 23 of this chapter, we see that when he comes out of Egypt, Joseph takes them back into Israel, but instead of going back to, to, to where they were before, he says, no, I, I see that Herod's son is ruling. Um, there's still a threat to us. And so the, 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 uh, the angel says, yes, I want you to go into Galilee. That's the northern part of Israel now. I want you to go all the way back into Galilee because I want my child to grow up there. Notice he's born in Bethlehem, he hides for a little bit and could be said that he came out of Egypt and now he grows up in the area of Galilee, of Nazareth. It says in verse 23, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. 
It's interesting when you read in John, in John chapter, uh, John chapter 6, you see the, the people of Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees, arguing with Jesus and saying, how is it that you say you're from heaven? We know where you're from. You're from Nazareth. They, 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 they know that. In fact, they think they know everything. And it just goes to show they had a little bit of history that verifies exactly what God said, but they missed the whole point. Yeah, they knew he grew up in Nazareth, in that area. But they failed to recognize, to see who he was. This was the Emmanuel who was born of the virgin. That God had implanted seed so that she would give birth to this child. This was a child that was protected and hid in Egypt. Born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth. This is this child. And it says, in fact, in verse 23, that was that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Every detail of him has been orchestrated by God so that we might see that this Jesus is the special appointed one. I've just picked out this chapter in Matthew we can go, go throughout the whole Old Testament and we can see all the bits of prophecy that are being fulfilled in this Jesus. I'd invite you to do that, to have your eyes open, to see that you might confirm what God's word is saying, that this is the Jesus. This is the one that God has appointed then to be Emmanuel, to be Savior of the world, to be Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. This is the Jesus that we trust in today. This is the Jesus that proclaimed, as Deuteronomy 18 proclaimed, that he is a prophet that God would raise up like Moses, that all must come to trust in. And those who fail to walk in obedience to him, they will give account to God. We thank you, Father, for your word today. We thank you appointed to Jesus. In this season, we pray that we might see that this is the Savior of the world, the great shepherd that has come to rule his people. We pray right now that we will be submitting to him now. By recognizing what you've done to make him a Savior, to cause him, to bring him to that point where he will come be put on the cross to die for the sins of those who would trust in him. As we declare, declare him as Savior, Lord, we also must declare him as Lord in our lives. And so today we declare to walk in obedience to him. He is the shepherd that will rule his people. We pray, Lord, that we'll submit to him. Now, Lord, as we take communion today, we remember his sacrifice, we remember his place as our Lord and as our Savior. We remember his promise to come and return 
to collect us, those who trust in him, to rule over his kingdom. We look forward to that time, Lord. We await that time. We pray that we might be faithful in serving and waiting until you return. So bless us now as we take communion in remembrance of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ask our leaders.